0: Well, I want you to just go ahead and turn to start with to John 4. Just turn there because we're going to be there in just a minute because we just mentioned Samaritans and we'll talk about them in a second. But we're continuing our study of what we're calling Jesus and His world. And we're seeing people and places and events and history and all that stuff that ties in to uh, to Jesus and His time in our world. And our goal is to understand these things, be able to put it together, we can see the flow. Now, we divided, and this is what we've talked about before, we divided our study into four big sections. And we are actually just finished section one. The first section was basically we called it the end of the Old Testament and we had lessons on uh, the history. We just gave a big flow of Israel and we talked about their sin and judgment and going into captivity. Talked about what it was like during captivity and then last lesson we talked about them returning and that's where we talked about the returns and all of those different things. Then now we're in a section which is a little bit unusual. We call it between the testaments. And this is actually the 400 silent years. And the thing, when we say 400 silent years, there wasn't, there wasn't any revelation given. And so people say, well, there's nothing there. Uh, But what we're going to do tonight is sort of see a combination, because we're going to look at history, but we're going to see how that history ties into the Bible. And so we'll see that between the Testaments. There are going to be two lessons, tonight's lesson and next lesson, and and they'll tie together on what happened in between the Testaments. Then the third section, of course, the beginning beginning of the New Testament, and we talk about Rome, Israel, and Rome. We talk about the rise of the Roman Empire, and we brought this out several times. Why would Jesus, why would God send Jesus during the time of the Romans. But what about our time? Or what about even before then? So we talk about that. And we'll talk about the forerunner of the Messiah. Who is who? Who is the forerunner of the Messiah? John the Baptist. And we'll talk about him and Jesus. And then we'll talk about Jesus' ministry. We'll talk about going to the cross. And we'll talk about the victory. I, I, and I entitled the lesson "Victory in the Cross," and we'll see what that means. And then the last two, then we go to the last section, end times, and we're going to talk about Jesus and the beginning of the church, and we'll talk about the rapture, and then we'll have a lesson dealing with the, the second coming of Christ. Well, actually, tribulation, second coming, those kind of things. So there's a a lot, a lot there. So now we're moving to the second big section between the testaments, and there's really just two lessons on this. Uh, but but I think. Uh, When I really thought about putting this together, I thought, well, how much do we want to go? How much detail do we want to go on it? Well, I thought, well, I think there's a pretty good bit there. This is a a time gap of about 400 years in which there was no written revelation. And they call the 400 silent years, if you want to write that down, the 400 silent years. And we'll find that they're not silent. In fact, we're going to actually find that Daniel chapter 11 actually gives the history a lot of the history now you can't tell it when you read Daniel chapter 11 all you can go is what are they talking about and yet I'll show you tonight what we can do there now I've given you a handout which some of you've already looked at a little bit you don't need to look at it tonight but it's a handout that it says what happened between the testaments and it's a number of pages this is also funny if you've ever had to my tutu study The 2-2 study, I have a section in the 2-2 study that is just uh, like a handout, sort of a reference. And you can look at this anytime you want to. It really goes into the details, what happened at the very end of the Old Testament going all the way to the beginning of the New Testament. A lot of the things we've discussed already and will discuss is even in some of this. So this is a great reference. A friend of mine actually helped helped me put this together. As far as helping put the information together and typed it up for me and got it. So I didn't, I didn't do all this history myself. I didn't have the time to do it. But I've had it for a long time. And you'll find that it's very valuable. There's a lot of good information on that handout. So here we are. where are the gap. We're thinking about, okay, what happened from the time the Old Testament ended to the time of the beginning of what we call the New Testament? Now, let's be honest. Let's be biblical The New Testament does not begin until the death of Jesus Christ. You understand? He shed His blood. His blood is the blood of the New Covenant, the New Testament. So when we say Old Testament, New Testament, we're talking about how the Bible set it together, and we'll say, okay, the Old Testament ended with those books, and the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in reality, the New Testament does not begin until Jesus Christ dies. That means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books are basically Old Testament books. And and but we put them in our New Testament. We call them the Gospels. But the New Testament doesn't begin as the Book of Hebrews tells us. The Testament doesn't begin till the death of the testator, and not till Jesus died on the cross. So technically, almost all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not till the very end of those books, it, it, do we start the New Testament. And some people are confused, and they think the New Testament doesn't begin until the church began. But the church begins a little bit later on the day of Pentecost. Jesus died, rose again, walked on the earth 40 days, sinned into heaven. Ten days later, Holy Spirit came down. That's Pentecost. But the New Testament begins at the death of Jesus Christ. So that so when we're saying in between the Testaments, uh, you understand when I say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are New Testament, you understand we know that that is not exactly accurate, even though that's how we put it together. Okay, so we're going to see how the Bible and how history actually come together. It's going to be pretty amazing when you think about it. We'll see what happened, and what happened in between has a bearing on our world, on the world that Jesus entered, and and all of that. We ended our last session with the nation of Israel going back into the land, the promised land we call Israel. They have returned to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And this is pretty amazing. I don't know about y'all, but Jerusalem is the key city in the whole world. I mean, you understand that, right? The city used to be called Salem. Salem comes from Shalom, which is peace. So it was the city of Shalom. Of Salem, Then it became known as Jerusalem. Jeru is the idea of Jehovah or God. So it's Jehovah's peace. So Jerusalem is God's peace, Jehovah's peace. It's the most important city in the world. It's the city of the king. It's the city outside where Jesus was crucified. It's the city which he's going to come and rule in righteousness and justice on this earth for a thousand years. So that's why Jerusalem is the great city. And the Jews have returned to rebuild the temple as we're studying this and rebuild the walls. But here's something we need to realize. They're not free. The Jewish people are not free. They've been been under the rule of the Assyrians, then they've been under the rule of the Babylonians, and now they're under the rule of the Medo-Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. And so this is where we are. And I want you... Oh, let me, well, let me give you time to write that. You don't have to write every aspect. Around. You can just put the fact that they're now under Medo-Persian. Uh, you know, we know the seven Gentile world kingdoms. You should be able to know those. We'll talk about them in more in just a minute. But this is one of the key, the Medes and the Persians. And where's Persia today? What would be Persia? It's Iran. It's Iran. And they're, they're evil. They're evil today. Okay? Now Cyrus the king of Persia, there were Medio-Persians. Darius was one of the Medio kings and Cyrus was the Persian king. Cyrus is a good king, I call him a good king, raised up by God to allow the nation of Israel to return to their homeland but still under the control of the Persians. Just because he let them go back and rebuild their temple and rebuild the city and those kind of things didn't mean that they were free they still were under the dominion of the Medio Persian Empire, and so we're going to see tonight what happens when in this this new world. Now, as we begin, and we're we're uh, uh, looking through this thing, remember there were six key things. Uh, that we talked about. Okay? So let's talk about them real briefly just to make sure we got them. The first one is the Jews no longer worshipped idols. Let me tell you, you talk about a change. I, I've been reading, I, I do Bible reading all the time and right now I'm in the whole section of, of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, those prophets all the way through. What are they saying to the Jewish people? Straighten up. Straighten up. And what are the Jewish people doing? They're worshipping Idols. And let me tell you, it's amazing that they worship idols and, and now God really gets graphic, and I I know this is on the camera and everything, but God calls the the false worship, he calls it adultery, and he calls it a sexual sin. And he says, You've gone after other lovers, you've become a prostitute. He calls Israel a prostitute because they've gone after other lovers, which are false gods, and all that kind of thing. And he gets really graphic. And if you read let me tell you, if you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, you start reading those books, you're going to go, God, that's pretty strong. It is real strong. But let me tell you, something happened. When they were taken off into captivity and they came back, they have never, as a people group, worshipped idols again. Never. You, do you hear them worshipping idols today? No, you do not. Do you hear, do, would they worship in idols at the time of Jesus Christ? No, they were not. What they did now, they had they had a, they had a messed up gospel. They thought that the law would save them. They thought if you keep the Mosaic law, and that's the way to enter the kingdom, is to keep the Mosaic law and the rules. And that's why they had Pharisees and Sadducees. We'll talk more about them as we get into them. But they are ones that came up with all the rules, and you could say that, that all the commandments of the Scripture, the five hundred and something commandments of the of the Bible of the Old Testament, and they added all kind of rules to it. And that's why you know they'd say things like, hey, you can't look at women. A woman couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath day, because she might want to fix something. And if she fixed something on her face, that was working. And you, if you, you you couldn't walk very far on a Sabbath day, if you got mud on you on a Sabbath day, you could only you could wait till it dried, and then you could hit it three times. That's all you could do. If you went more than three times, you broke the law. And they had all kind of rules, and they thought this is the way you get to God. And it's really sad because when you today talk to many people what do you think you have to do to have eternal life? And they'll say, try to live a good life. Same thing, it's just different now, yeah, same thing. So the first thing is they no longer worshiped idols, no longer. Second is they, they had a change in the way of worship. They had no temple for 70 years. And for all those years from the time of from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then the Mosaic law and the temple and the sacrifices, that's how they worshiped and suddenly they had nothing. And so they begin to meet together in smaller groups called the synagogue, synagogue is the Greek word, we get synagogue from it, and it means the, the, the gathered, the coming together, and we know that, that their worship uh, there and that was very, you know, they would come together and they would do the creed, the Shema, here, Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, They would say, it. They would, every man would say that every morning. But they would say that when they came together, and then they would sing, and they would have Scripture reading, and they would have somebody teach. And so if you look at that, as we said, the pattern of the New Testament church meeting together was formed off the synagogue. I mean, that's what we do. We come together, and we read Scripture, and we have songs, and somebody teaches, and we have, I mean, that's just what we do. So they had a whole change in worship, and a pretty, pretty amazing. The third thing, the new language, Aramaic. And, you know, I've, I haven't studied a whole lot about this because I know that to, do you think about at Jesus' time, what, what could he have spoken? What would he have spoken? What, what do you think? We, we know he probably spoke Hebrew, but he also spoke Aramaic. And you think that he might have known some Greek? well yeah, because Greek. And what about Latin? Do you know that when the, if you read, have you read the Bible where when Jesus is on the cross that, that says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, and it's written in what languages? Latin, Hebrew, and, and Greek. Yeah, so he may have known three, four, five languages, which a lot of people knew more than one or two languages. You know, so. But the new language is Aramaic. Aramaic looks a lot like Hebrew. It pronounced a lot like Hebrew, just a little bit different. I wanted to read this to you. This is in Mark chapter five, verse forty-one. It says, "This is when Jesus goes in. The little girl is twelve years old, and she died." And uh, he was on the way there, and the father came. My daughter's sick, and on the way there, he got stopped. And then they come to him and said, Don't bother to teach her anymore. She's, she died. And Jesus said, Just believe. And they get there, and everybody's crying. He says, Get out. She's asleep. And they all laugh at him. And he runs everybody out except Peter, James, and John, and the mom and the daddy. And they go into the room. And what does he say? It says, And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Tileth come. That's Aramaic, and it means get up. Get up. And then he said, which translated, A little girl, get up. And so he, he spoke Aramaic there. And there were sometimes, and, and if you, um, uh, there are some translations, if you remember when Paul was, was on the way to the road to Damascus and the lightning, you know, the flash came and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In some places it says that it was Aramaic instead of Hebrew. That some say that. I don't know. Anyway, new language. Then they're now called Jews. We've talked about this before. What are, the, what are some of the names that these, this people group has been called? Hebrews. Okay, they were called Hebrews. And why Hebrews? What does it mean? Crossing, Crossing over. over. They left the Ur of the Chaldees, crossed over the tigris River, came into what we call the land of Israel, and so they called the Hebrews because they crossed over. What was the other name? Israel. I- Israelites. And that was because Jacob's other name, got, Jacob's name means what? It means deceiver or trickster or grabbed by the heel. That has a weird name to it. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means prince of God. And then the two kingdoms where the northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah because it had Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes down there. And then after the northern empire was taken off and the southern empire existed for another 100 years, then they were taken off Then everybody just called them what? Jews after Judah. So now, if you saw them, they would just say Jews. They didn't necessarily call them Israelites. Although we know that when you look in the Bible, sometimes Paul would say something about Israelites and Jews, and, and people historically call them Jewish or Jews. You know, and and so that's kind of the thing after that. The fifth one is the rise of the scribes. Ezra was a scribe. Was the scribes were the scholars. Sometimes there's a a word sometimes like translated lawyer," and we think that lawyer and scribe pretty much were the same thing. The scribes were people who knew the Bible, and they copied the Bible and I've shown y'all this before, but when they copied the Bible, you know it, they Hebrew went this way, Greek goes this way, but they didn't have spaces between the words. If it said "God loves you." It all was one thing like that. And so they could just read it, or Hebrew the same way. It was just a line. And the scribes were the people that were known for copying all the the manuscripts. And what is so amazing is they copied it perfectly. When people want to say something like, well, I don't know if our Bible is very accurate because there's all these copies, the copies are accurate when we found the dead sea scrolls most of you know the story dead sea scrolls were found in 1947 and they took the manuscripts they they were all hebrew manuscripts and they took the date of the manuscripts that we had and made them a thousand years earlier so we now then all of our documents were a thousand years older and what they found is these thousand year older documents they were they're all exactly the same so God allowed people to copy the Bible scribes and stuff, and they copied it exactly right. So you don't ever have to say, well, "I hope this is right." It is right. You know, the more you study the Bible, the more you should say, "Wow, I can't believe how perfect this thing is," because it it really is. The sixth one was the conflict with the Samaritans, and if you remember, the Samaritan half Jew, half Gentile. I wanted to show you a story tonight, real quickly, uh, just a fun one, and that's why I wanted you to be in John. Chapter 4. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to show, show this to you is when we talk about the Greeks that we're going to see the, tonight, the Greeks and the Macedonians and the beginning of the Roman Empire. And when you think about the Greeks, they, what language did they speak? We'd say what? Greek. And what language is the New Testament in? Greek, I mean, the uh, Old Testament was in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And there's a reason because Greek is so exact. I want to show you something. So look at John chapter 4. And Jesus and his disciples are on their way. They're going to Galilee, but they go, they go through Samaria. And they stop, uh, they stop at a place near Jacob's well, which is near Sychar. And look at verse 7 of John chapter 4. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And by the way, this is about the sixth hour. It means it was twelve o'clock. It's midday, and so Jesus goes and sits down by the well. Sends the disciples into the little town to get some food. It's middle of the day, and out of nowhere, here comes this Samaritan woman to draw water. Now, is there anything wrong with this? Well, they didn't draw water. That's right. Most women would draw water early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cooler. She comes out in the middle of the day. Why? Why? She's an outcast. She's an outcast, uh, even though she's a Samaritan, but she's an outcast among the Samaritans. We'll find out why in just a minute, because the truth is, she's been married so many times, married and divorced, married divorced, married. So, you know, she is not respected at all. So watch what happens. So she comes out, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, we read that, we don't think anything, but if any, at that day and time, if you read that, you'd say... He said something to her. Men didn't talk to women. And Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. So he says, give me a drink. He basically says, give me something to drink. And his disciples had gone to buy food. And so verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask me (coughs) for a drink since I'm a Samaritan? And notice, Samaritan what? Woman. And she's emphasizing that not only... You're asking me a question, but I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. And then, the John writes and puts in parentheses: "For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." So we've been we're talking right here about this conflict with Samaritans. But you know, it didn't seem to me that Jesus had much of a conflict here. I wonder why? Why? Huh? Exactly. Now, well, I love this part because he told her that, it, that if she knew who he really was, that's what he says, if you knew who's really uh, talking to you, you'd ask for living water, and I'd give you living water. She went, living water? She said, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to have a living water? This is the well. You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me any living water? He says, I give you water that if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, it will be a well of water and life, eternal life. And she goes, oh, my goodness. And he says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, well, I don't really have a husband. He said, well, you're exactly right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. And she said, I think you're a prophet. Yeah. He said, yeah, I think I am. And anyway, she begins to talk, and then she says something like, he says, um, she said, "I, I know that when the Messiah comes, and let me tell you, the Samaritans understood there was a Messiah coming. Even though we're half Jew, half Gentile, they knew there was a Messiah coming. And she says this, I know the Messiah's coming who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us everything, just like you just told me. That's what she's saying. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. And what does she do? She leaves her bucket and runs down into town. Now, here's what I want to show you that's so neat. If she had come into town and said to the men, come out, I found the Messiah. He's a man that's told me everything I've ever done. The Messiah is outside. What would they have said to her? Yeah, you don't know anything. First of all, you're a woman. Second is, you're a bad woman. And we're not listening to you. Now I want you to look at your Bible and look what she says. Verse 28. So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? In the Greek, that's why this language is so special, she asked the question expecting a no answer. I found a man that told me everything, but he's not the Christ. What are they going to do? You don't know anything. We're going out there and see for ourselves. So I just wanted you to see how beautiful the language is, the Bible is, that it, it's perfect. And so, of course, he goes. they come out there, and she believes, and those people coming out there believe, and they ask him to stay, and he stays two or three days, and a whole bunch of them believe, and they say, we don't believe now just because of this woman told us about him, but we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's what they say. Is that a great passage or what? Wow, it's beautiful. Okay, anyway, I just wanted you to see that. That's kind of extra. Okay, now, so he goes to the Samaritan woman and then says they have no dealings. Now, let's talk about the seven Gentile world empires real quickly because I want to make sure you know where we are because we're going to see the flow, okay? So let's think about it. There's Egypt, Assyria. By the way, you should know this. It, and without even thinking about it, you should be able to go, okay, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, medio persian Greco-Macedonian, Roman, revised Roman. Did we not have that, most of us, growing up, when we went to school? Some of you don't. D- did you have it? No. See, they don't, teach, they don't teach Western civilization, do they? Do they? Did you have Western civ? You might have, but you were asleep. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, most people our age, we had every bit of this, and we didn't want it. And we, now I wish I really had it. And then the younger people, they don't even go into it anymore. They don't even talk about what the world was like, Egypt, Assyria. So when we think of Egypt, we think of slavery. Moses, we think of Assyria, we think of the northern kingdom going into captivity. We think of and the southern kingdom with Daniel and Ezekiel. We think of the medio persians which is where we are, Ezra and Nehemiah. And then we're going to look tonight at the Greco-Macedonians, the Greeks and macedonians and we're going to see what happens. And notice how I put this, the conflict between the Testaments. And we're going to see it. And then we'll get to the Romans. Now, let's talk about something for just a second when Daniel was alive what what kingdom was the key one okay Babylon and so when he saw his vision he saw four kingdoms to come these have already passed he saw one two three and he thought these two were the same he saw a head of gold and arms of silver and a brilliant t- really stuff of bronze, and legs of iron, and then feet of iron and clay. And he saw it as four kingdoms. Or really five, because what's in between this kingdom and this kingdom? The church, us. He didn't know that it was a mystery, and so Daniel saw that. Now, let me remind you: in Revelation seventeen ten, John is alive. When did John live? What empire? Roman. Roman. And in Revelation 17, 10, it says, Seven mountains are the seven kingdoms. Five have come. One, two, three, four, five. It goes on to say, one is, that's the time of John, and one is to come. So the Bible fits together everywhere, every time you look at it. Just learn, learn that and see how that fits, and then you, you're going to know history. And so you know Western civilization, you know the history of the flow of the world, and that is the flow of the world. And there, this is going to happen one day. Because we're right in between this. We're the church age. And the handouts that I gave you last week that showed the, the statue and then down at the bottom in between the legs and the feet is the church. That's us. That's what's happening even right now. So let's talk about, here we are. We're now at this stage. We're right here and we're going to go to right here. But, so let's, let's move a little along and let's talk about the Greeks. And we're going to talk about a guy named Philip of Macedonia and Alexander the Great. Philip of Macedonia is the father of Alexander the Great, and we'll talk about how it came together, and we'll see all that. But before we get to that, I want you to just think for a second about, there was Cyrus, the king of Persia, and then after that he had a son named Cambyses, and then we had a guy that we all know, we'd call him Xerxes, but his Bible name is Ahasuerus, and you remember last week I did the story of what? Of Esther, I told you the story of Esther, and this is the, uh, the Persian king who married Esther and saved, basically, the Jewish people were saved. Now, here's the problem. It's not too long, as time goes by, suddenly there's an empire coming. Now, picture it this way here's the Medio Persians, they've been the rulers of the world, and suddenly there's this group called the Greco Macedonians, Philip of Macedonia, and, and they're coming to power. And when they come to power, this is Philip. He's the father of Alexander the Great. And so Philip of the Macedonians or Philip of the Macedonia. And he, what he did is he took the, what we call the Greek states. And if you remember, there are all these Greek city states. And he was the first man that could unite them together. And when he united them together, they became a great army. And so he planned to start conquering, and then he began to conquer, and he was assassinated. Uh, He uh, unified the Greek city-states, the military, the power. And then what happened to him, he was assassinated in 337 B.C. I just put down there, assassinated 337 Philip of Macedonia, and his son, Alexander the Great, came to power. Now, let me tell you what I did. This is not even for this class. This is like two or three years ago. I got sort of interested in Alexander the Great because uh, he was an amazing person. And so I've read. i read two or three books on his his life. And, I mean, he was unique. I mean, there's some people who say that he was an alcoholic and drunk himself to death. And there were some people who say he was poisoned. And some people say that he was a harsh leader. And other people say he was one of the great leaders of all time. But he was called Alexander the Great, okay? And he was an incredible man. He came to power when his father, Philip of Macedonia. Now, the city Philippi, our book Philippians... Philippi is named after Philip, right? How about Alexandria, Egypt? It's named after Alexander the Great. In fact, Alexander the Great named a whole bunch of cities after himself. There's all kind of Alexanders all over that part of the world. Alexandria, Egypt is the most famous one, but it's named after him. Now, he was brilliant, and he became ruler, and by the time he was 30 years old, he conquered the world. At 30 years old, now let me give you a little background about him, and you don't have to write everything down. There's going to be a few things I want to give you. When he was 13 years old, his father called on the great philosopher. Look, look who tutored his son, Aristotle. You know, we always hear Plato, Aristotle. You know, Aristotle was the one that tutored his son. And let me tell you, it says Aristotle sparked this interest in literature, science, medicine and philosophy. And Aristotle taught Alexander and some friends poetry, philosophy, drama, science, politics. And when Alexander the Great read Homer's Iliad, he said, I, 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 I want to become a great warrior. That's what he wanted to do. He was 13 years old when he began to be trained by Aristotle. So I mean, think about this. This is, this is kind of a brilliant young man. After his father's death, Alexander became the ruler, and he began to conquer the nations around him. He conquered, uh, he, he considered the Greek way of life superior to anything else. And so what he said was, I'm going to conquer everything and put everything under the Greeks. And so he spread the Greek language and the culture. Now, this is not, that's not his best picture, okay? That's not his best picture. I'm going to show you some other pictures. of him. This is from a mosaic of him going to war and that's supposedly a picture of Alexander the Great getting ready to go to war to fight. And uh, uh, around 330 B.C. he began to conquer. And let me tell you a story. So here he is. And he's, let me, let me draw up, let me draw this for you. Here's Egypt down here. And he's marching. Alexander's coming. And he's coming this way. And he's on the way. And here is Jerusalem. And he's on the way to Jerusalem, basically conquering, destroying stuff as he goes through. And this is a big city. So he decides he's going to destroy Jerusalem and then go on to Egypt and conquer Egypt. And there was a priest. And we talked about this before. There was a priest in Jerusalem that knew he was coming. And he was he was on the way going toward Egypt. And as a priest, I've got his name there for you, it's J-A-D-D-U-A. If you see it, it's called a Jewish priest. He came out as Alexander was coming toward Jerusalem and he walked out in front and he said, you are Alexander. He said, yes, do not destroy our city. You are in our Bible. God told about you. And of course, Alexander was a Pretty, I mean, he thought he was—he thought he was great, right? I mean, he called himself Alexander the Great, and so he thought, really, I'm in the Bible, I'm in your Bible, and he showed him from the Bible. And so, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter eight, Daniel chapter eight, just flip back—Isaiah, Jeremiah, Limitations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter eight. Daniel chapter 8. And you, if you've never seen this, I, I taught the book of Daniel. It's pretty incredible. And I'm going to show you some things that, well, if you have never seen this before, it, you're going to be so surprised. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 8. And so here's the priest shows Alexander that he's mentioned in the Bible. And he says, You are the one who will defeat the Persians, the Egyptians, all of them. He says, You're going to defeat the Medio Persian Empire. This is Greeks going to do this. Now, when Daniel wrote this, you have to understand something. When Daniel wrote this, there weren't any Greeks. There were barely any Medes and Persians, because Daniel began to write in the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and Persians. The Medes and Persians conquered by the Greco, the Greeks and Macedonians. But when Daniel wrote Daniel eight, if you said Greeks, you know what they'd say? Who are you talking about? Right? That'd be like us saying some name of some nation. And we'd say, we never heard of that nation. And then 100 years, 200 years later, there becomes that nation. So I want you to see what he says. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. Daniel is getting this vision, and it says, "I lifted my eyes and I saw a ram which had two horns, and it was standing in front of a canal. And the two horns were long. One horn was longer than the other. And I saw the ram going eastward, uh, westward, and northward, and southward. And other beasts could not stand before it, and there was not anyone to rescue him. Which, if this one is going westward, northward, and southward, where is he coming from? Where? The east." And that's that ram. That's the Medio Persian Empire. That's who it is. And I'm going to show you how we know in just a minute. But that's what it looked like—a ram with two horns. Okay. And then look at the verse five. While I was watching this ram, a male goat was coming from the where? From the where the, Where did the Greeks come from? Compared to the Persians from the west, and I saw this male goat coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching it. That means he's going so fast he's flying. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. You want to see what that goat looks like? That goat, by the way, is the Greeks, and that horn is Alexander. And that's what it looked like. And it says... That he came up to the ram that had two horns which had been standing in front of the canal and rushed at him in mighty wrath. And I saw him come beside the ram and he raised at him and he struck the ram, shattered his two horns and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground, trampled on him, and there was none to rescue him from the power. There he is going after the ram. Who is that? That's Alexander defeating the Medo-Persians. And that priest came out and said... You are the big horn, and that goat is the media persons, and you're going to defeat them. He told him that. And we would say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How do we know that? How do we know who this is? How did that priest know who this is? Well, just look a little verses down. How about verse 20? Daniel is told the ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of who? Medes and Persia. Now let me ask you something. When Daniel wrote this, were there the Medes and the Persians? No, they were the Babylonians, not the Medes and the Persians. Look at the next verse. The shaggy goats represents who? The kingdom of Greece and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The goats, Greece. Listen, before there was ever Greeks, Daniel said there'll be Greeks with a big king. And before there were Medes and Persians, Daniel said they are going to be Medes and Persians and they're going to be defeated by the Greeks. And so that priest came out and said, you're in the book. This is you. You're going to win. So guess what he did? He said, okay, thank you very much. I will not destroy Jerusalem. I'll just go get Egypt. And He did. And then guess what he got after Egypt? The Medes and the Persians, right? Because that's who he conquered. The Greeks conquered the medio persian Empire. And so, amazing. D- is this amazing to you? You know, when we read this and study it, we think it's no big deal. In fact, there were people... As we've told this before, there are people who actually believe that Daniel wasn't written by Daniel. That Daniel was written by some person who lived two or three hundred years into the future, I mean, from this, and wrote the history as if it was prophecy because it's too exact. I mean, they'd never heard of any Greeks and never heard of one major ruler like that. So I'm going to have to go a little faster. I'm just looking at time. This Alexander, he looks better there, doesn't he? Except he doesn't have any good eyes. But anything, uh, that's him. And the Greek Empire. Let me show you what the Greek Empire was under Alexander. Look at, what, what happened? Did I do something?
1: Oh, there it goes. Okay.
0: This is the Greek Empire. Look at it. This is where they came from. And they conquered all this, all this, came down right there, got Egypt, came over here, conquered all of this. By time he was 30 years old. The ruler of the world. That's who he is. That's who he was. Ruler of the world. And since the Greek language became the Bible, I mean became the language of the world, uh, they had to put the Bible into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And so if if you had one, and I happen to have one, I've got a Old Testament in Greek called the Septuagint. And it, it, you, because, because suddenly people began to speak Greek. Everybody began to speak Greek. Some people were so afraid and they said, we, we don't even know Hebrew much anymore. And so everybody began to speak Greek. So 70 Jewish scholars, that's what Septuagint means, it means 70, 70 Jewish scholars came together and translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. Okay, now we're going to have to go a little faster because I did not realize that I would take this long to talk about some of this. (laughs) It's too fun, right? Uh, Well, maybe y'all don't care about it like I do, but I really, I care about it, okay? So here's what happened. So Alexander died at about age 32. You can just put that down. Uh, It was before age 30 had conquered the world. What is the Septuagint Greek Bible, Hebrew Bible and the Greek? How did Alexander the Great die? Nobody knows. It's a great mystery. There he is on his deathbed. I don't know who took this picture. um, Maybe one of the slaves. But anyway, they took this picture of Alexander the Great. Let me tell you, it's mystery because I've read a bunch of stuff. And some people think he was poisoned. And some people think he just died. And nobody knows exactly. But I've got some stuff for you. You, You're going to be surprised. Get this. This is what he told. As he was dying, he asked his general to abide by these wishes, his main general. He said, the king of Macedonia said, My physicians alone must carry me and my coffin. Only the doctors would carry the coffin. I desire that my coffin is being carried to the grave. The path leading to the grave door will be filled with the wealth that I collected. So as they're taking me to where they're going to bury me, all of these treasures and gold and everything that I've collected, I wanted it on the way. And then my third and last wish is both my hands would be kept... kept Hanging out of the coffin. And you say, why? Does that sound weird? Okay, listen to why. The generals will be agreed to abide by the king's last wishes. Alexander said, I want the world to know three lessons. Number one, I want my physicians to carry my coffin because people should realize that no doctor on earth can keep you from dying. Number two, I spent my life earning riches, but I cannot take any of it with me. And number three, I want people to know that I came empty-handed into the world, and I go empty-handed out of the world. Wow. Is that wild? Okay, so what happened when he died? And we'll go fast. What happened when he died, uh, uh, chapter uh, 8, verse 8 is, look at uh, Daniel 8, 8. It says, then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. That's Alexander, right? Right? Okay, are you all there? Daniel 8, 8. The male goat magnified himself ex- uh, exceedingly. As soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. What does that mean? He died. And notice, and in his place, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. When he died, now watch this. This is, this is pictures of him. Listen, that's that, remember that's that mosaic? I told you that wasn't a great picture of him. But that, that's a good picture of him. And that's a, a good statue of him. When he died, the four horns represented Alexander's four generals. And when he died, his empire was divided by his four generals. Four generals. Now watch this. You're gonna love this. This is the division. Okay, now it's hard to see. I don't like, it's just a, you know, in here. Like on right here, I can see real good. Can't see that great right there. But I want to show you something. Here is a, uh, one of the generals was called Ptolemy. He got the e- Egyptian part. One of them was called Seleucus. He got this part. Another one over here was Cassandra. Another one was over here. And so it was divided between the four generals. And here they are. If you want to write that down, and you don't really have to, the, the two I want you to remember is Seleucus, and Ptolemy, okay? You can write them all down if you want to real quickly just for history's sake. But that's the four generals. And what is amazing is the prophecy was way over, way 200 years before it ever happened, the prophecy was he's going to die and it would be four things come out of it. He died and four generals came out of it with the power. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but that is out of this world that these prophecies are that exact, long before they ever happened. Now, let me just... You. Are you all got it written down yet? Pretty much got it? Not got it? The Cassandra got Greece. Lysimachus got Thrace, which is a little part of, over to the, to the east of Greece. And then Seleucus got Central Asia and Syria. He got the northern part. And Ptolemy got Egypt. And so that's how it was divided. So these four generals... Now, what I want you to see is this, that if you notice that these, these are way over here, but this nation, Ptolemy, Egypt, goes all the way up here and fights up here. And these come and they fight each other all the time and they come down here. Who's in the middle of this fighting? Israel's right in the middle. And so they would come down and attack and there'd be big battles right here. They'd come up and attack and they were called in the Bible, king of the north, king of the south. Now let me read something to you. Don, I don't want you to have to turn there. This is Daniel chapter 11. A mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority. But when he dies, his land will be parceled out to four points. What do you think that's talking about? This is Daniel 11. That's Alexander dying. Then it says this. Then the king of the south will grow strong and attack the king of the north. Then the king of the north will carry out an arrangement and will attack the king of the south. And then they will have this, and the king of the south will come against the king of the north. Then the latter time, the king of the south will return to his own land. Then the king of the south will go and fight the king of the north. The whole chapter 11 of Daniel says king of the north fights king of the south. He doesn't tell us who it is, but who is it? These people right here fighting back and forth. He actually gives in Daniel eleven the history of what happens after the generals do their thing. You know, it's just it's so exact. I have a handout, I didn't bring it, but I didn't think it'd be that interesting. But it's actually Daniel eleven. It goes verse by verse all the way through Daniel eleven. I did not come up with this, but someone took the time to go back to history. And they found that where it'll say, king of the north here does this, they can tell you which king it was. And they take you all the way through the history. It's unbelievable how special it is. I, if I can find it, I did it when I did the book of Daniel. And I can, I can find it. Do you really want it? Y'all want that? Really? Okay, I'll find it. I'll find it. Okay. Now, so if you notice, the key thing is here, the land of Israel is between the land controlled by Seleucid and Ptolemy. Right? You got it? That's the key thing I want you to know, and so there's this battle going on. And by the way, the Greeks, um, the Greeks uh, settled in the, the lot of them settled in the northern part of Israel. And it's called Decapolis, which means 10 cities, 10 cities, 10 Greek cities at the time of Christ. Jesus went there a bunch of times. Look at this right here. Matthew 4, 25, large crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea. Decapolis was 10 Greek cities. So they came to see him. Mark chapter 5, verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. This is the guy that that Jesus healed and he wanted to be with Jesus. And he said, no, 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 you go back and... Tell everybody what great things I have done. So I just wanted you to see that the Greeks, there are Greeks all over the place at the time of Jesus because of what happened here. Now, let me give you something real quickly before we, we stop, and that is this. There's a guy, <clears throat> and let me just throw it up this way. Here's the north. Here's the south. South is Ptolemy. I'll just put it that way. This is Seleucus. I'll put it this way. They fight back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then, the, down here, a guy by the name of Antiochus III had great victory. And he controls all of this, including the Jews. And the Romans are now coming to power. And when the Romans come to power, they defeat him at Phanopoli. You know, you know, and, and you've probably heard of that battle. And so he lost and he had a son. Let me show you this. You can just write down this. It's not that vital that you remember all of these kind of things. But I want you to remember that he had a son named Antiochus the Fourth. And when he lost the battle, his son was taken captive and was a slave in Rome for twelve years. Now you might say, Why are we even talking about this guy named Antiochus the Fourth? Because we're going to see next week who this man is. He returned after 12 years. He came back after 12 years. He had, he ruled. He was he ruled. He came back and ruled this part of the world. Even though the Romans are coming to power, he ruled this part of the world. And he was a horrible man, but he had to deal with the power of Rome. And in, he is called the little horn in Daniel 8. And this man is a foreshadow of the antichrist and you may say really what what in the world we're going to see more next time you've heard of hanukkah anybody heard of hanukkah you've heard of the maccabees anybody ever heard of the maccabees anybody heard of the maccabee games since i was a track guy i loved the maccabee games were were the jewish olympics basically is what they were jewish people from all over the world came and ran in the maccabee games and we're going to hear who this Maccabee people are. We're going to hear who Antiochus the Fourth is, and we're going to hear about the the whole Feast of Hanukkah, what that is. Now, as you see in your your handout, it, as by the way, it's, it's, uh, mis, it was mistyped. It's supposed to be Antiochus the Fourth, same as back up a little further up, Antiochus the Fourth. We corrected it on the main thing, but we didn't, you know, we already gave y'all all the handouts, y'all. Now, what did this man do? I'm going to give you a foreshadow, and then we'll see what happened next time. Here's what he did. He tried to unite his kingdom with all the same laws, customs, and religion. How do you think that went well with the Jews? It did not go well at all. He came in and said, we're all going to follow the same religion, the same laws, and the same customs. And the Jews said, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. Second, he attacked Israel... And when he came in, he said, you may no longer observe the Sabbaths. Now, why did the Jews go into captivity a long time ago? Because of the Sabbaths. He said, you can't observe the Sabbaths anymore. You can't circumcise your children anymore. You can't eat certain foods anymore. And your law means absolutely nothing. Now, to a Jewish person, the Mosaic law was what? Their food. It was everything. He said, you got to stop it. Then look what he did. He came into the temple of Jerusalem, and he put an idol of Zeus in the temple. What do you think that did? Uh, Made him really, oh, oh, oh. Now, here's the bad one. Anyone who had a copy of the book of the law, he killed. That would be like if he said, any of you have a Bible. If you have a Bible, you'll be put to death. Now, let me tell you something, and I'm going to just do it this time, and then we'll stop and get more details next week. But see right here where it says circumcision and the book of the law? If he found a woman who had a son, and her son was circumcised. Now, were all Jewish boys circumcised? They killed the son, hung it around the woman's neck. That's what he did. He's that evil. And then last, but he killed the the men, the women, and the children. And so we're going to see this man, he's called, and his name was, let me just tell it to you, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes Fourth. He called himself Epiphanes, which is Greek for the Great One. So he called himself Antiochus the Great One IV. Jewish people, in Greek language, all you have to do is change two letters, and it becomes Epiphanes, not Epiphanes, but Epiphanes. And Ephiphames means crazy man. And so the Jews called him Antiochus Ephiphames the fourth, which is the crazy man, the madman. So he was horrible. And I want you to see him next week. And I want you to see how he is a foreshadow of the one who is coming. We call him who? The beast, the Antichrist, the beast that rises up out of the sea, he is coming. So what have we seen tonight? Cyrus allows the Jews to go back. Persia is conquered. Here comes the rise of the Greeks and Philip and Alexander. And Alexander spreads the Greek culture everywhere. And the, Alexander dies and it goes to the four generals. And the four generals, the two main ones. Who are the two main ones we want to remember? Uh, Ptolemy and lucid, okay, and, and that's the two, and we're going to see what happens. So let me give you some applications, and then I'll show you the quiz and everything. Okay, first, let's understand, God is the one who raises up kings and kingdoms. He does that. He does that. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, all rule is by God, and God allows people to rule. You know what that means for right now, don't you? Yeah. What do you think that means for our country right now? We can be mad all we want to. God has allowed this. We're getting what we deserve. Let me just tell you that. I don't mean in a bad way. Not necessarily us. We try to do what's right. We try to live right. We try to protect human lives. We try to do everything. But when a nation destroys its babies in the wombs, when a nation destroys the distinction between men and women, which is the setup of the whole Bible, you're going to see that a nation is going down, and we have been allowed to have leaders that are causing this nation to fall. And it's going to fall. You can, we're not in the Bible. Just remember that, by the way. When you get to the end time events, where's the United States listed? There's a 10 king federation, and it's an old revised Roman empire. Where's the United States? You ever wonder why we're not there? Just think about it. God raises up kings. God sits down kings. Second, you've got to trust God's word. It's always true. Let me ask you a question. When Daniel wrote about Alexander the Great, were there any Greeks? No. Had they ever heard of the Greeks? No. And yet he wrote that down. When, when Isaiah wrote about Cyrus, king of Persia, were there any Persians? No. Was there a man named Cyrus? No. The Bible is true. Trust the Bible. Dig it. Study it. Look at it. Go, man, I'm learning some stuff because that's, that's some really good stuff. The third thing is let's put together history in the Bible. I want you to know the seven Gentile World War empires. I want you to see how they flow from one group to another. I want you to know about Alexander the Great, who conquered the world and when he died, the generals and how. And you might say, "Well, why do we need to know about those generals?" Because those two generals had a huge impact on the nation of Israel as they fought back and forth, and we're going to see all those kind of things, so there's a lot there.